I'm excited for this message. Um, this is some, a couple passages I've never taught on before, but God has been really, really, really speaking to me. Um, we're going to begin in Luke. Uh, we've been walking through this Luke and Acts series, and I started out studying all of the fathers in the book of Luke, and there was a lot of them. Um, every, every man's name, I went and I started researching, and I was like, man, this is going to be like a five-hour sermon. So I scrapped that idea. But I, I, I found myself in Luke chapter 3 in verse 34. And, and if you see this, it says, The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor. Now, Luke 3 is kind of the genealogy of the life of Joseph. And you, you're trying to get from like Jesus all the way to Adam. And, and what you have in verse 34 is you have this Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. And if, if you're familiar with the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, you often hear this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of righteousness, the God of sacrifice, and the God of deception. The deceiver. Because that's, that's literally what Jacob's name means. I mean, just imagine if your, your parents named you, hey, deceiver. Love you. You know what I mean? But, but, what, but really, the, the, the heart of this story is one of legacy, but it's also the, the heart of from the righteous to the deceiver and everyone in between. And I think somewhere, every single one of us in this room can find ourselves between the righteous one and the deceiver. And, and what's beautiful in the story of the Hebrew nation, the Hebrew people, is they're constantly talking about the generations. We don't do that very much. But they constantly were talking about, oh, yeah, 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 Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If it was me, it's Albert and Joel and Steve. If it was my son, it would be Blue Papa. That's what he always referred to my dad, Steve and Emerson. But it was always talking about the legacy. The question is, who is Abraham's father? Who was Abraham's father? It was in that verse, it was a man by the name of Terah. And Terah is from the Chaldean people. And if you're familiar with Chaldea or you're familiar with astrology, astrology came from Chaldea. They were people who were fascinated with the stars. And in Midrash, or in Jewish kind of understanding, there was this sense that one day Abraham was looking up at the stars because that's what he had been trained to in Chaldea. But he was looking up at the stars, and in this oral tradition, which I'll talk about in a moment, he's looking up at the stars, and he's like, I don't actually buy what I've been told. There has to be something, someone, some bigger being that put this whole thing into place. And that, to the rabbis, is when God reached out to him in Genesis chapter 12. Or is this sense that he was even just so curious, and just with that sense of curiosity, God met him. Now, Joshua, which is uh, in the, the Old Testament, tells this one little verse about Abraham and his father. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Joshua. And I want to just read this passage over you and then read a, a little bit of a midrash, a story um, from the rabbis about this passage. Joshua 24, verse 2, begins like this. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord the God of Israel says, Long ago, 
your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Now, what's amazing is this phrase, worshipped other gods. Now, what you have to understand is that most Jewish boys and girls, they memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And many of them found themselves actually memorizing the entire Hebrew scriptures. This is what they would do. But they didn't just memorize the scriptures. They actually memorized the commentary or the stories that were built on those verses. So it would be like a verse about worshiping other gods. And then all of these rabbis would say, did you hear this story? Did you know about this story? And you got to understand, this was a, 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 like a community that would gather around campfires and they would tell the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, this is one of the, the central midrashes. And midrash is just like uh, a way to say it could be a possible, a story of, of, of an interpretation from different rabbis that have been passed down to disciples after disciples after disciples. But based on this one verse of what Abraham did, I want you to see it. Well, we'll I'll read it over you. Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol manufacturer. Once he had to travel, so he left Abraham to manage the shop. People would come in and ask to buy idols. Abraham would say, how old are you? The person would say, 50 or 60. Abraham would say... Isn't it pathetic that a man of 60 wants to bow down to a one-day-old idol? The man would feel ashamed and leave. One time a woman came with a basket of bread. She said to Abraham, take this and offer it to the gods. Abraham got up, took a hammer in his hand, broke all the idols to pieces, and then put the hammer in the hand of the biggest idol among them. When his father came back and saw the broken idols, he was appalled. Who did this? He cried. How can I hide anything from you? Replied Abraham calmly. A woman came with a basket of bread and told me to offer it to them. I brought it in front of them and each one said, I'm going to eat first. Then the biggest one got up, took the hammer and broke all the others to pieces. What are you trying to pull on me, asked Terah. Do they have minds, said Abraham. Listen to what your own mouth is saying. They have no power at all. Why worship idols? From Midrash Bereshit 3813. Now, this is, this is amazing to me because what, what Abraham's saying is, um, these are one-day-old idols. And like 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds will, will bow down to them. Fascinating. And this became one of the central stories that was passed down is that Abraham, in his righteousness, actually went back to his father's house and decimated all of these idols. Now, I think that generational dysfunction will continue until someone says enough. And the truth is, every one of us, we weren't handed a perfect story. Even with a good, good father that we had, a good, good earthly father that we had, or a good, good earthly stepfather that we had, 
there still comes within every single one of us a moment where we have to say, enough. For some of us, we, we grew up in homes where there was profound emotional abuse or physical abuse, every kind of abuse. And for some of us, we, we grew up in homes where, man, our, our parents weren't building idols and bowing down to idols, but maybe their idols were work. And maybe their idols were being in relationships. Maybe their idols were certain escapes or addictions. And for any of us who grew up as children of alcoholics, there comes a moment where you either follow in the tradition of the fathers that came before you, or you say enough. And part of the human experience to be a disciple, to be a child of God, is to look at your family of origin and begin to discern what is it that I'm going to take and hand down and what am I going to break? What am I gonna break? Now, many times people see like, oh wait, wait, wait like really? Like, it feels like as if you're going against your parents. And so what often happens is most people just continue because that's familiar. It's their normal homeostasis. It, it just feels like this is what I'm supposed to do. But oftentimes it's a, a misrepresentation of one of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, one of the most famous of all. It says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, here's the question. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? If you lived in my house or went to the church that I went to, honor your father and mother meant obedience. But if you actually went to Israel and you sat with Jewish fathers at a Shabbat meal or sat with rabbis, you know what they would say? To honor means to take it farther. It means to take it farther. Now, now think about this. In 1948, Israel became a country. And many 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds were sent basically by their parents to Israel, this newfound country, to actually put in irrigation, to like literally like build this country. And their whole essence was, you have to take it farther than what we've given to you. And the idea the rabbis would teach you is, we are to take it farther spiritually. We are to take it farther emotionally. We are to take it farther physically. We are to take it farther mentally. We are to take it farther. That's how we honor our parents. It's not just doing what they say, because what they say might be idol worship. What they might say and do might be some of the most toxic and narcissistic and unhealthy actions. What our job is to do is go, how do we take the example they gave us, but actually in a way that honors their journey and how they tried in their best efforts to take it farther, how do we go and do likewise? Jeremiah 35, verse one. I didn't know this story. As I was kind of like researching, I came across this amazing passage. And I, now, you know the prophet Jeremiah, many would call him the weeping prophet. 
this prophet who just so far out in front of the people trying to remind them how they were to live their one and only life. And, and often he'd see the people just going astray and he's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And he finds himself one day in, in Jeremiah chapter 35 with this moment where he wants to invite a group of people to come and have a drink. He's like, he, he tells this group of people, he's like, hey, hey, why don't you come to my house? We're gonna have this drink. I got some great wine. I got some bowls. We're gonna cups. We're gonna just, we're gonna have some time just to dine and enjoy each other's company and actually indulge in some wine. And in Jeremiah 35, you see something powerful. This is this. Then I set, verse 5, bowls full of wine and some cups before the Rehagabites and said to them, drink some wine. But they replied, we do not drink wine because our forefather, Jehonadab. Now, if you don't know how to say a verse in the scriptures or a word, you just say it quickly and with authority and move on. <laughs> Jehonadab, son of Rechab gave us this command, neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. Also, you must never build houses, sow seed, or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things, but must always live in tents. Then you will live a long time in the land where you are nomads. And we have obeyed everything our forefather, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Jeremiah's like, wait, wait, what? And Jeremiah's familiar with this man. Because if you get, get, look at the, the story of the kings, this guy joined King Jehu, and they actually went into uh, the temple of Baal and basically destroyed all the idols one night. This guy, generations earlier, said, we are going to be a nomadic people. We are not going to plant. We are not going to drink. We are going to be these kinds of people. And what's amazing is the entire nation of people bought in, which I think is just fascinating. I don't even know if that would even be possible in today's world. I mean, like, can you actually go back and go, hey, generations ago, three, four generations ago, this was so central to our family of origin story, the generations down the line, we were like, we're going to be these kinds of people. What's amazing is um, I've been fascinated with the family tree. My old grandpa, my old grandpa, my grandpa, he passed Albert Carter. I worked for International Harvester in the post office. But I got his family Bible. And inside his family Bible was a family tree. And it dates back to the 1600s. And, and you see how this person, he was like, he was like the, the first 23andMe guy. Like he just, he had this John Alden who was on the Mayflower. He took it all the way back to the Mayflower, marries this woman. They have this kid. Boom. They get to Springfield, Illinois. He goes all the way. And then he gets to my grandma, um, Porter, her, and her father was Grover Cleveland Porter. Strong name. And like they, they just, this whole family tree. And he begins to introduce this whole idea of Carter. Now, it's, a, it's the 41st most used, recognized last name in America, but you know what it means. Uh, it'll come up on the slide. Uh, it, it, it just is someone who transports goods. 
just a person who had a cart. It's like a wheelbarrow. Like literally, that's the drawing. Big deal, big deal. What's amazing though is, is, is you start to study the, the Carter line and, and truth be told, you can, you can do this. Every, every one of your last names for the most part, you can go back and, and back in Europe, it didn't matter. Back in, in various places around the world, there were these family crests and it would basically be a way of them to, to draw out and describe this is us. It was like kind of their sports team. They'd be able to identify, oh, you're a Carter, or oh, you're, you're a Smith, oh, you're this, you're Johnson. Like, they had these crests. This was the Carter crest. And, and what's amazing is, is even under those crests, just like on a dollar bill, these crests, they had different phrases. And many last names had various phrases in Latin or German. And these phrases were kind of the decrees that they would hope would be passed down. Here is the Carter Latin phrase, victris patientia duris. I don't even know how to say that. Patience is victorious in hardship. And this is what they would pass down. And, and I think this is fascinating because in one sense, our job as humans and sons and daughters is to break cycles, but it's also as sons and daughters is to take it farther. And to take the good farther and hand that down, which begs this question, next slide, that I'm wondering, what are the phrases or the values or the practices that have been handed down in your family for good? What, what, what are the, the phrases that you think back, and you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's grandpa, you know? You watch out for the, the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. That's my grandpa through and through. Like what, what are the phrases? But I, I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking like spiritually. I'm talking, I'm, and some of us in this room, we're like, I don't have that. But some of us, we do. Some of us, we have an example. We have something where they, they just, they actually in the moments of hardship or adversity, they had patience. And somehow that represented something that had to be passed down, just like we see in Jeremiah. But when you go back to Jeremiah, God actually uses this story as a prop. And in verse 12, it says this, because God wanted Jeremiah to see something as a prophet to begin to share with the people. And in verse 12, it says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Go and tell the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord. Jehonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his descendants not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. To this day, they do not drink wine because they obey their forefathers' commands. I think it's amazing. But what God's trying to do is he's trying to help them see, hey, this dude made a decree and generations later, people followed it. And God's saying, uh, hey, Israel, I made a decree. And I, I, I'm actually the one who made that guy. 
and yet you all aren't following this. Make it make sense. And it continues on, and it says this in verse 14, but I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. This is God speaking. Again and again, I sent all my servants, the prophets to you. They said, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Do not follow other gods and serve them. Then you will live in the land I have given to you and your ancestors, but you have not paid attention or listened to me. The descendants of Jeroboam, son of Rechab, have carried out the command their father, forefather gave them, but these people have not obeyed me. And I think there's three essentials. Three essentials just from this simple story that I think actually can help us build a legacy. The first one is this. There's a legacy of Jeroboam. And the truth is, there's a legacy that every one of you has the potential to hand off. And maybe it's to kids. Maybe it's just being a light in your neighborhood, in your marketplace. But there is a legacy. There is some sense of responsibility as Christ followers, as disciples, as Talmudim, students and apprentices that we ought to be passing down. The second, the second that I think is important is the obedience of the people. And part of building a legacy isn't just you having some values and ideas, but it's in a way where your kids or grandkids or friends or peers or coworkers or neighbors actually look at that life and go, whoo, that's profoundly different. They are a peculiar people. That actually makes sense. That is a good man, a good woman. That is someone I want to be like. That's the, you, can, you can build a legacy and say you want to build a legacy, but if you don't have any followers who are actually embodying your legacy, you don't have a legacy. You have a last name, right? Part of this, man, it's, it's, this is what's so important. And I know today's about fathers, but I'm also talking to the moms because as, as, as women and as men, you have the chance to actually decide what is it that I want to hand off, not to just this generation, but to the generations that come after. Now, the third to building a legacy, and you have, to, you have to understand this. This is what Jeremiah began to understand, is there's a profound contrast between God's commands and Jonadab's. There's a profound contrast. And there's a profound contrast between your ideas and Latin statements you want to pass down to your kids and the commands and the decrees of God. And, and, and it's amazing is sometimes I'll sit with dads and I'm like, hey, what is it that you hope to pass down? And what's the number one that they, thing that they bring up? Money. Money. And we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. But I'm, I'm really like fascinated. Yes, money makes things a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, what do we all want? We want to be good people. And we want to actually follow someone who is actually good. And someone that we're like, man, my, 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 my dad, my mom, this stepdad, this stepmom, man, I want to be like them. 
I felt seen and known and loved by them. They, they were this earthly representation of a heavenly father. And I want to actually be that for my kids. And some of us, some of us, we didn't have that. And it's really, really difficult because you have no map. And in some ways you're like, I'm trying to be the kind of person who can do this. And I don't necessarily know. And in some ways it's triggering. In some ways it's, it's nerve wracking. In some ways it's scary. And this is why we need each other. Can I ask you honestly, what are the phrases, values, practices, and I added in this one, this slide, or verses that you want to hand out? What is it that you want your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter? What is it that you want for your nieces and your nephews? What do you, what do you want for the people that actually come into your presence to actually experience and go away longing to embody? And if you're, if you're someone whose dad or mom is still alive, you should ask them this question. One of the best things my dad and I did when I lived in Michigan is we went and we sat next to my grandfather, Albert. And we just asked him questions and we recorded it. And after every question, this is how Albert answered. Well, and then Wes would talk. Well, and then just would talk. But some of those moments I learned about my grandfather you know what he said to me one time? He said, if there's any one book that's not the Gospels that could actually be embodied that would make our world better, it's the book of Isaiah. I was like, why? He's like, read it. I'm like, okay. But there's something like when you have this moment where you're like, that was important. Is it important to me? Well, what really, really matters that can actually be handed down? I loved a few weeks ago when Bria had all of the women stand, the moms, the aunties, the grandmas stand. And um, I wanted to do a similar thing, but I wanted to invite all of the men in our church. You could be young, you could be a father, you could want to be a father, you could be a grandfather, you could be a mentor, you could be a coach, but I wanna invite all of the men to stand. And I actually am not gonna pray over you. I'm gonna invite someone who I just think is incredible. Uh, her name is Betty Schmidt. Oh, you can say standing. It's all right. It's all right. Say standing. Uh, all the men can stand. I'm going to invite Betty Schmidt to come up, and I'm going to ask her. Um, in many ways, I'm like, I feel like she's like a matriarch of this church, but like uh, she's someone I just respect her faith. I respect uh, who she is as a leader and shepherd, and I just asked if she would just pray a word over the men of our church. Uh, as Steve has asked us before, I'm going to pray some blessings. And if you want to put your hand out, men, please do that as a kind of a symbolic acceptance and readiness. And please join me as we ask the God who can bless us in very significant ways. Father, I've thought of the different men represented here, some dads, some not. And I thought with pain how there, as Steve has just been referring to, many of us did not receive a, uh, a great legacy or an honorable legacy. 
um, an affirming legacy. And due to various types of brokenness and addiction and neglect, remoteness, just lack of affection or affirmation, I pray that, Lord, you would give these dads the hope and the diligence as they think of parenting. They don't want to do it the way that they were parented. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless them with the tools, the ability, the foresight, the uh, research, the um, looking for ways to do it your way, with your help, with love and affirmation. Then I thought of dads who are enjoying a, a newborn or little children, and they're responsible for raising these little ones and um, encountering all the sleep challenge nights and all the tasks that are sometimes not so pleasant or easy. I just pray that you give, you'll give them the grace and the, um, the ability to work with their partner, their wife, and uh, be understanding and patient. And Lord, I just pray that you'll bless them with the, um, the realization that all these snuggles and cuddles that are so available and so lovely don't last forever, and they better really take advantage of them. I just pray that you'll bless them with that tenderness and affection that we can show to our little ones. Then I think the most challenging part of parenting is when children start getting older, and especially those that head into the preteen and teenage and college years. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless dads who are in this position of life now, in this stage of parenting, with the ability to um, be creative, understanding, patient, courageous, to know when it's better to be soft, and sometimes when it's necessary to be harder as parents. So it takes a lot of discernment, and I pray that you would bless these men and give them a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think of fathers who are estranged from their children. I hope there aren't many of those here, but there could be, Lord. And I pray that due to divorce or communication breakdown and a variety of maybe actions and behaviors as uh, when we were when these dads were there, were parenting them in younger stages, and this has led to a disenfranchisement and an alienation. I pray that these dads would be blessed with hope and humility and the ability to seek ways of reconciliation and reconnection, Lord, and bless them in those efforts. And lastly, for those men here who wanted to be dads, but it never happened for them, I pray that you'll give them, you'll bless them with the opportunities to connect, just as Steve has mentioned, with a significant um, younger person, a niece, a nephew, uh, a child of a friend, and that they would have opportunities of influence and relationship. Father, I want to just close and reading um, kind of a Father's Day altered version of Hebrews 13.20 in closing the ultimate blessing here. May the God of peace and the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you, men, with everything you need for doing his will as parents 
is raising your sons and daughters. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, before you, before you go, um, Betty, thank you. That's, that's some wisdom right there. Um, I just challenge you all to have a conversation with your dad, um, dads with your kids, granddads with your grandkids. But, but someone's got to go first. And the simple question could be, hey, can I share with you a cycle that I've tried to break? And can I share with you a legacy that I'm trying to build? Or you might ask your dad, dad, what cycle did you break? What cycle did you break? What legacy do you want me to carry on to my kids someday? And just have that moment. And I'm telling you, the, the richness, the beauty, the conversation, and it's, it's just something that um, my son and I have been able to have recently, and it's been just some of the most sweetest God-ordained times. I want that for you. Um, hey, two quick things. Um, next week, we kick off the book of Acts, which I'm excited about. Yes, it's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to understand this whole theme of life together and what it means to walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. I, I'm really excited for us uh, to dive into the book of Acts. Again, Luke was written to Theophilus about one man, Jesus, and, and Luke actually wrote the book of Acts to Theophilus to help him understand this movement of one church filled with one spirit. And you're going to get to see it in, in, in an amazing way. So come back next weekend at 10 a.m. But down in the basement, in the church basement, we got donuts with dad. Bria and myself will be down there. Go hang out, meet someone new, get a sprinkled donut. It's going to change your life. Uh, but without further ado, would you stand and let me just give you a quick blessing and you can be on your way. My brothers and sisters of Forest City Church, may we be the kind of brave women and men who understand that it's okay to break cycles and it's so profound to build legacies. And may our life and what it stands for, for Christ and as Betty said, to him be the glory. May it pass down, not just to the next generation, but the generations and the generations and the generations after it. May each father not feel shame today, but may you feel loved, beloved by your one true God and empowered to continue to love your kids and grandkids well. Much love, everyone. We'll see you next weekend. Grace and peace.